Hi, and welcome everybody to another episode of The Boss Lady Speaks. I am your host, Johanna Sawalha, aka Coach Joe. And with me today, I have Catherine Earnhardt. She is the owner and founder of Mason Lane Art. And Catherine, you've been in business now for six years, and I'm sure there was a lot of ramp up before, but really in business with your business for six years. And I want to talk to you about your journey. You're in New York, which is just, I mean, I lived there for almost 20 years. It's extremely competitive and you are an emerging art, actually you're an art advisor for emerging art. And, you know, so it's very niche, but at the same time, New York is a city of art and I'm sure there's competition and you're a mom. So let's just, let's just start with when you went from, between amateur and pro, when did you go pro? What happened? What was the shift for you? Sure. So my company is called Mason Lane Art Advisory Services, and we help clients seeking storied emerging art, as you said. Um, I pride myself on being very transparent and our process is really approachable. And so for those reasons, I really wanted to create an art advisory service that was catered to what I call the entry level collector. Someone buying between five and $50,000 bought their first or second home, needing something other than college posters to put in the wall. But at the end of the day, they really wanted to feel connected to that art. And so I developed that idea and that niche after working in the art world for about 13 years and we had bought our first home and I'd worked at Christie's and Museum of Modern Art and an international appraisal firm called Gurjans. And when we had bought our own home, I didn't know how to go about getting art, which I thought was ridiculous because I had always dealt with the multi hundred thousand dollar you know, million dollar art world. It's called the blue chip art world. And so after I had bought my own home and started doing research on this emerging art world, I became infatuated with it and started helping some friends, started um, really researching who else was in this space, how they were marketing themselves and what I could do that was different. And so I ultimately after actually having my daughter, my first daughter, I decided to leave my company and start creating this art advisory in that space to cater to this entry level collector. Um, and it started out, I'll, I'll say very experimental. You know, I was feeling it out. I was, I was certainly entrepreneurial and I've always been that way. And I've owned a company in the past, but I was open and giving myself the space as a new mother to really feel out the industry and figure out what worked and what didn't and what competitors were doing and what I wanted to do differently. And so within that, let's say two year time frame, I really worked to find my own voice and I had a good roster of clients. And then after that two year time frame, I had had a second child. We had moved into our new home and that's when I really decided to, let's say, go pro and push the business into high gear. Um, I had hit a wall with after having my second child. I realized I absolutely wanted something that was full-time and meaningful to me outside of parenting. I needed help doing it because I was a mother of two and because we had moved to a much different type of home that required a lot more maintenance and work mm -hmm. that was basically put on my shoulders. Mm -hmm. And... 
I really cared about growing the business. I found it to be an extremely healthy and driving outlet. I wanted to figure out how to grow within it. And I found myself in any spare moment trying to figure out how to do that. And so I brought on an intern to sort of experiment with how this would go with hiring someone else. And she proved to be an incredible asset. So with that, I hired, I brought her on first part-time and then full-time. And I brought on a marketing person um, to help support me. And that was when I would say we first went pro when I had a team and I had other people's rent to pay. So let me ask you then, Catherine, if when you then went pro, you were trying things out for two years, you had one kid, got the second one, and then that's when you turned, went pro, and then you actually hired people. Now, um, you know, before, before you actually went pro and before you now have a business where you have to worry about other people because now they also have to make their mortgages or their rent, your husband was the major breadwinner. And I think that a lot of other, especially women, not always women, but I would say mostly women struggle with this. The man is the major breadwinner. The woman wants to start something out, but they never get through that place that you did. Like they never, they never feel the ability to go pro. They never, they can never take that jump because they don't see how they can get out of their, their role, their mothering role as the, you know, the catch all bucket. Who's going to take the kid to the doctor? Who's going to take them to the dentist? Who's going to go to all the parent-teacher meetings? And then when you get a little older, the activities and that kind of flexibility that you have on your home becomes an assumed one and that you're going to keep doing that. So what totally. did you have to do? How did, what did you have to do to be yeah. able to not blow up your family life to transition because all those things still need to happen, but you can no longer be the catch-all bucket for everything. What, what did, how have you handled that? I think it's a very good question and a, and a challenge that so many people, and as you said, mostly female entrepreneurs face or female parent married entrepreneurs. Um, and I haven't done the run the numbers on that. That's an assumption, but I know that I speak with a lot of people who can relate. And I think that logistically, when you are married to the person who is the breadwinner, it seems reasonable to always default to that person's work needs. Yeah. And I found that to be an extremely reasonable thing to do. And also an extremely demeaning thing to happen for me. So I understood the feelings behind it. You know, someone, if, if he's paying the mortgage and I have a work commitment and, you know, someone's got to be with the kids, then I'm the one that's got to sacrifice because that literally is going to pay our mortgage. And I didn't like that lack of control. And so it took a lot of conversations about, compromise and scheduling, I'll say, to really get to a place where we said, okay, if X, Y, and Z are your days to really work late or have these meetings or um, commit yourself to this, then I'm going to do that on the other days of the week. And can we find an arrangement where we really try to batch our time such that this is the schedule? Um, and certainly there are 
there are moments when we have to bend on those rules, but when we have an understanding of each other's schedule, Mm -hmm. it's paramount in creating this more equal playing ground. And I Mm -hmm. think also explaining the, the way that my business was growing and the time investment that I needed to put into it versus the actual money that's coming out of either person's account was very important in having us understand what we're looking forward to and what we're both really investing our time and sacrifices for. What would you say, how much of that was his having to get used to you not being as available, let's call it on a dime, and changing roles within your family, within your core family, and how much was it you letting yourself go there? Because I'm sure, you know, I had a friend when I was a do with my first, who she was brutally honest with me, and she said, welcome to a lifetime of guilt. Yeah, <laughs> like, I, a kid gets born and guilt gets born. Like you're, you're not there enough. Like, oh, who am I to, you know, it seems like I prefer my business over my child. And then there really are people out there in the world who will guilt you, which is just crazy, right? People who right. really make a point out of guilting you. Like you should be with your child. It's like, what? But it's right. the, the middle ages. We're supposed to go back in the kitchen. Uh, no, but right. the point is there is still a balance and there is still, I think, a hurdle to get over. That like how, like, again, I'll come back to my initial question. How much was it him having to kind of, you know, massage the status quo for himself and be willing to change how things are done in your family? And how much was it you allowing yourself? I think it's, I'm going to say 50-50 with the disclaimer that my husband is extremely understanding and extremely supportive and one of the most communicative and loyal people that I could ever meet. Um, so I think first and foremost, it was me thinking that I needed to bend and that I was, my job was inferior. And because of that attitude, he and I were both acting accordingly. So once I started a mental shift and then communicated with him, then the logistical shift happened after that. So it was me initially recalibrating how I wanted our family to work and what I wanted my role to be within the family and then him supporting that. But when you act in a certain way, like your job is inferior or like your job is a hobby, Mm -hmm. then the people around you treat you the same way. Right. So it starts with you, you're saying. It really starts with you. It has to start with you. And it has to start with the commitment that you're making. And I say commitment because one thing I'm really proud of about myself is that when I make a commitment, I stick to it. So if I'm going to have a job, (laughs) I'm going to tell everyone, I'm going to get clients, I'm going to service those clients, I'm going to hire staff, I'm going to pay that staff well, treat them well, and keep their jobs. I'm not going to sometimes be at work and sometimes be um, take the day off and sometimes uh, have a Monday meeting with my staff and other days I'll feel like doing something else. I really am good about keeping to a schedule such that everyone who's involved with my life knows what I'm doing and and when. And kids will throw you for a loop all the time, but playing playing it, playing that game offensively rather than being on the defense and trying to cater to everything is really where I've felt more empowered. 
I think that's, and it's a great point you're making. You, re, you really, what I hear you say is you really are source. And I think if we're going to take the female perspective, I always think that and say that women really are source, aren't we? We, I mean, in some ways, Mother Earth, those boys that run the world, they came through us, right? We, yeah. it start, it start, we, and, and in some ways, we have to take that perspective because otherwise we'll never reach the equality that we want. And so I, I, think that's, that, I think that's really, really great, actually. And then, like you said, if you don't um, have business hours, then you are not treating it like a business, do you? Right. Then it's, you're still in hobby. So not, you have to look at where you're setting your, your, your business up or your venture up as if it's a hobby or as if it's a business. Like in your case, no, I have business hours. I have staff. I have mouths to feed in my company, mm-hmm. which is, in, I mean, see, it, it sounds a little bit trite, but it, that's the fact. I, I, see, I see less of that than I see the other one. Yeah. And so then what I hear is it begins with you. And mm-hmm. then, but then tell me some, oh, because I, I, you know, I still get it after more than 25 years. Oh, but you have so much time. You, have, you, you can be so flexible. And I'm like, well, I keep regular office hours. But why? Yeah, you can do whatever you want. Well. And I'm like, yeah. yeah, but I don't. Like, because I work when other people work. Why wouldn't I? Right? Right. It really does take a minimum of you know eight to ten hours a day to run a business well, and that's that's what it takes. And so yeah, I've learned so, I don't operate yeah. well under the flexible umbrella. I really have to have a schedule and I have to have a plan and goals that I'm committed to every day. And that goes for business and parenting. You know, something that you taught me actually is that you always want to move the needle forward. And every day and every week and every month and year, I'm working to move the needle forward on business and on parenting because my, my relationship with my children and my family and husband are so important. They're the most important thing in the world to me. And if I'm not doing something that makes me a better parent every day, then I feel, then the mom guilt comes in. I really don't feel guilty often in terms of mom guilt or otherwise, but when I am not doing something to become a better parent or to make foster a better relationship with my kids, then I do feel I'll just say awful about myself. And when I'm not doing something to further my business or to better service my clients or to do something that improves my staff's well-being, I also, I feel, I feel similarly bad about myself. And so I'm really trying to move the needle forward in both parts of my life. And I schedule time and talk about commitment with my business. I'm also very committed to having one-on-one time with each of my kids every single week. And so Tuesdays, my whole staff knows that I take my oldest to violin every Tuesday at 2.30, from 2.30 to 4, I'm out. And and I don't make that a sometimes thing. I make it an always thing. And Friday, I have my lunch date with my other daughter, and we stick to that. And I will say that I have had two incidents in my business where clients – um, I felt didn't respect those times. And mm-hmm. I got pulled into a situation where I, I basically canceled on my kids mm-hmm. and I felt guilty about it, but I also thought this will further my business and I'm okay doing this, this one time. Right. And in both incidences, I essentially later fired that client because 
it went down a bad path and we just weren't a good match. And I want to work. I have the luxury of working with people that have the same values as I have, that there's a mutual level of respect. And I learned the hard way. I mean, it wasn't an awful hard way. It was a good lesson. I don't beat myself up for it, but I am committed to my kids as I'm committed to my business and batching my time in ways that enables me to do that has really been a key to my success as a business person and as a parent where I feel good about both of those worlds. I had a, I had a coaching client today actually who is dealing with that guilt of, of scheduling a chunk of time for her priority. Right. And it's really hard for her. And she said, well, what am I going to call it inside of the Google calendar that everybody looks at? What will I call Like all of a sudden, you know, I am not available for a good chunk. Right? Yeah. And I said, you should, you should call it N O Y B. None of your business time. Like, none of your business time. But, and, or I, I said, or you can, you know, or you call it finance me and you call it something important, right? That nobody yeah, would right. mess with. But the, but, but the point is, is, is that, you know, if it's not in the calendar, then it doesn't exist. Yeah. So you make sure that it's in the book with your kids. Yeah. But, and then also you have the same, it's in the book with, with the client. And then you mind your boundaries as well. And the, the client that didn't mind your boundaries, you got rid of because it just didn't work for you. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about, has there been any point where you were thinking, okay, I, it's, this is just not worth it. It's too, it's too hard. It's too oh, much 100%. juggling, really. Yeah. And then what, were, what did you do then? Like what got you over that hurdle and, and what had you not quit? I think knowing myself or rediscovering myself as a grown-up has been very key in understanding what makes me tick, what drives me and what helps me be a better person. And when I'm a better person, I'm a better parent. I'm a better wife. I'm better to myself. It's just overall beneficial for everyone involved. And so the thought of if I quit, you know, I was an econ major at Williams College, and so I'm always thinking of comparative advantage. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. money, comparative advantage, you know, supply, demand, all those sort of economic space, economic basics. But if I were not doing what I am doing, what else would I be doing? Because mm-hmm. it is not in my DNA to sit down and chill. And when I think of the alternatives, they are they don't solve any of the problems that I'm having in that moment. For example, the days where I, where I have considered quitting or closing down the business, I've just been exhausted, stressed out, not in complete control of everyone around me. And if I were to start something else, those things would still exist sometimes. They just are an inevitable part of any business or, or any part of my life that I choose to explore. And so if the other alternative option is not going to solve my problems and I might as well keep going and keep doing what I'm doing and address the problems versus switching completely. 
I also think about my kids and quitting is not a great example for them. They, they actually really like and care about what I do. Um, and on days when they're homesick, they're perfectly comfortable sitting and coloring while I'm at my computer and telling them about what I'm doing. And it's that motivates me that, that I don't want to quit because literally two little lives or two little girls are watching me as an example. And so I want to keep pushing ahead for that reason. I was, I was overhearing my daughter, uh, you know, I actually did. I was like eavesdropping uh, yeah. in her room, playing with her friends. And you know, sometimes you hear girls like they set up the rules of the game. Love and that, I thought, yeah. I don't know. And I think, I think her friend was kind of like creating like this kind of like strict, not, like now we're going to play this and now we're going to play it that And like, oh, that's not how you play. I could hear that it was like this whole <laughs> way to do it thing. Sure. And I, and I noticed my daughter didn't say anything. And, at the time she was six. And then after a while she goes, you know what? One gets to do what one wants to do. <laughs> and I said, yes. Right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. The lesson works. The example works. What do you want to teach your daughters? I mean, it's, I, I do not. For some people, the calling they do have is uh, being a stay-at-home mom. I am not judging that whatsoever. But we're only talking about the people who are default stay-at-home mothers, when they really want to start that business, when they really have a talent that doesn't get shown and doesn't get uh, tested and challenged and built upon. So that's who we're talking about here. Yeah. Um, you know, right? I think that everyone needs to stretch their brain in new ways in order to really feel whole. I really believe that. I feel yeah. that even if you have decided on one career path, then you need to try new things to experiment to further your business. Or if you're a stay-at-home mom, as we were just referencing, then take some classes or meet some new moms, get out of your circle, or um, try to work on a new charity that you don't know a lot about. There are a lot of ways to stretch your brain in new ways that can be scary, but can ultimately help you be a better person, be a better parent, be a better um, be a better person to yourself so that you feel more whole at the end of the day. Tell me a little bit about your ultimate vision for Mason Lane art. If the stars and the moon aligned and everything went just the way you wanted it to and all your wishes fulfilled, where, where, where would, it, would it go? What would happen? It's a good question. And I, and one thing, uh, that I've been working on at the beginning of the year is really setting my long-term goal as well as our, we break it down. What is one thing we can do this year to accomplish that goal? And what is one thing we're doing every month to make our way there? I would like to be the go-to art advisor nationally that people go to at a number of different budget levels to help improve their understanding and appreciation of art and to help get art into their home. And the reason I want to do that is not because I think that art is the most important thing in the entire world, because I don't. And if I'm going to support a charity for helping starving children versus furthering a museum, to be honest, it's going to be the starving children. Mm -hmm. um, but I do have this deep-seated belief that everyone deserves to feel grounded and connected. Mm -hmm. And especially in their home, I think it's so important. I think the world is so crazy. There is so much scary stuff out there as a parent. There's a lot of good, but there's a lot of scary. And 
for people to feel safe and connected and grounded in their own homes literally drives us to be better family people and to be better at whatever we choose to do. And in Mm -hmm. my mind, art is one way to do that, to have people purchase a piece made by someone else that they know or don't know and live with, understand that piece, live with it and just feel connected and inspired by it a tiny bit every day helps them do that. And Mm -hmm. so if I can help people around the country connect with art in a new way, um, support the arts through buying people's work that they would have never otherwise connected with and live with it such that they feel inspired and grounded and connected every day, then that will be my accomplishment. That is my goal. I will say also that we're trying to, can I add one thing to that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That we're trying like, to But I have a good flow of questions yeah. about it. And I was like, oh, no, we're I don't. trying to do that in so many ways beyond just helping people buy art. We're helping people do that by touring them around art fairs that they've never been exposed to. You know, I live in New York and there's a New York Art Week with 10 different fairs that you can join in. And nine out of 10 people that I know have never been to or taken advantage of these. So bringing people to the art fairs, walking them through why something is interesting or why something might be relevant to that person and how they can start feeling connected to it. That is the more experiential part of our business that we're really working on this year that ultimately does convert people to become sales clients and for us to work on their projects, whether they want to buy one piece or a full collection for their home. But by giving people that, that experiential enriching activity, um, whether it's just for them or their families or their spouses, that I think really helps people mentally. It's just an an enriching thing to do other than sitting home and being bored or doing something that's damaging or being depressed. It's something that really uplifts you um, that again goes back to feeling connected and feeling more whole and good about yourself. So that's, that's my ultimate goal to have Mason Lean be more of an experiential and sales channel versus just helping people um, by art. Yeah. And, and not to mention also the emerging artists, because that's really your specialty, emerging art. And so the, 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 the budding artist being brought forth and shown and showcased in, in many ways on your client's walls uh, is another, is another benefit. A hundred percent. Yeah. Right. We're helping. Exactly. When you're feeling connected to something, you're feeling connected to the thing that someone else created. You would have never mm-hmm. crossed paths with that emerging art um, right. artist. It, had you not gone to the art fair or worked with an art advisor or gone to the studio visit. And so when you're connecting with someone else, you're, you're really recalibrating your brain to feel more right. open-minded to how other people express themselves and what they create and how to transfer that feeling into other parts of your life. Literally being open-minded and hearing other people is a skill that they teach, you know, my kids in, pre, in pre-K. So uh-huh. it's something that I think grown-ups can also benefit from, just remembering that that's an important part of, of developing yourself and your brain. One of the things that I often hear is, from people and and women as well is, oh, but I like so many things. Like, I don't know what I should make my business. I could, I could, I could do this and I could do that. And then I'm sure that there are other things that you like as well, but at some point you decided on this one. So what was, what was that process for you of weeding out what wasn't going to be the business? 
Ooh, good question. Well, I had an unconventional path to where I am now. I uh, have bopped around different parts of the art world. I've been in the management office of the Museum of Modern Art. I've been in business development at Christie's. I've been uh, in business development slash sales at a appraisal company. And so a lot of art advisors that I had known um, didn't have that broad exposure to different parts of the art world. Instead, they had been in one gallery or within one very specific area, for example, contemporary photography for years and years, which is excellent. And they have that niche. But I had, because I bounced around, I had this broader um, understanding of what happens in the art world, literally from a storage warehouse at Christie's to how things are appraised and how the insurance world handles art appraisals for their clients. That's something that's not every art specialist in a gallery or auction house might come across. And so when I was figuring out how to start my business, I wanted to merge all of these interests into one. And that took some time thinking about what I wanted to do and really identifying what was my goal and how was I going to ladder up to that. And my goal was to utilize my business skills, my client skills and my art knowledge together in one. And once I had kind of shaped that, I started looking at what else was in that space that crossed over. And really, I mean, there's, there's not much like I worked with a, with someone who said, who's your biggest competitor? And I couldn't answer it. There's certainly other art advisors in this space, but I don't know other people that are doing what we're doing in terms of art advisory, as well as looking at people's walls cohesively and styling their walls and helping them with gallery walls and accent walls and bridging that area of design and art, which I was passionate about and interested in and really utilizing my business skills within that, that framework. So I think for sorry to diverge from the question, but to get back to someone who has diverse interests, figure out what you want to focus on most and how, if that makes sense together, create a business plan around it and look at the competition, see what else other people are doing. There are a number of things that I do outside of work that are certainly my interest and my passion that have nothing to do with work. I run a charity for girls where young girls where they can learn about it's a charity class where they can learn about community service and at some point I thought wouldn't it be great to merge it into my business but it makes no sense and I don't it doesn't have to it doesn't mean that I I um don't need to pursue it I can it's just again going into carving it out of my week and committing to it so that's that's my advice on that realm (laughs) we're gonna wrap soon but I could you give it just a little tidbit about the confidence and how you built your confidence from amateur to when you went pro. Like there was something you had to, there had to be something you had to do. You don't, you don't step out of having, you know, giving birth and having children and then being a full-time mother and then starting to sniff a business and then just having full blown confidence. That's Mm -hmm. not what happens. So re-entering not only the workforce, but as a business owner, where were some of the, confidence boosters that you acquired or or challenged yourself with to gain confidence again? Sure. So that's something that I've certainly struggled with um, and learned a lot about. Like I consider myself a, a very confident person right now, but I am not always that way. And I was, I think there were a few moments that really 
helped me. And one was in my previous role where I was heading up business development at this appraisal company. Um, that's what I was doing when I had my first child. And then I was struggling to be a parent and do that. And I really wanted to prove that I could do that because when I got pregnant, I said I would go back to my job and I felt very um, loyal to my boss and to my firm and to that comment that I had promised that I had made. And so it took a lot of confidence at one point to just say, you know what? I don't care what other people think of me. Let them think of me as a failure for needing to end this chapter of my life. Um, because I, I'm, I just am sick of trying to prove things to other people. And so that was a really empowering moment. And um, I took two months off to shape my business. So it wasn't that long. In fact, it was very short, but I took two months off to really shape my business and start putting feelers out there for creating Mason Lane. Um, so that was one moment of empowerment, really realizing that I didn't need to prove anything to anyone else. And it, that really drove my confidence. Um, the second moment was after, it was a long moment, it was after my second daughter was born and I had a lot of postpartum depression. And I took a six-month maternity leave, which I never anticipated taking. I had to go on antidepressants and anti-anxiety medication and see a lot of, uh, see a therapist. And that was very helpful, but having the confidence, I guess, or taking the steps to take care of myself and get better and ultimately feeling better and feeling strong enough and confident enough to hire a staff, that also really assisted me in moving forward. If I could get better from that and if I could um, – defeat that, then I could also do a lot of other things. So that was also a telling moment. And the third was really recently, this is not meant to be a plug for you, Joe, but working with you has been so hugely important to understanding myself. And mm -hmm. I know this about myself and you helped me learn this, that mm -hmm. I have to be doing a hundred different things in an organized way mm -hmm. in order to feel good about myself. And when I don't do that, and when I slack, I spiral and I spiral into this world of just self-doubt and anxiety and kind of a disability to move forward. And I don't like that world. And so to prevent myself from going into it, I need to stay active and I need accountability. And so I get my staff involved with all of our goals. I um, am very good at writing things down, setting deadlines, keeping our data organized so that I can literally move the needle forward. And so yeah. those, those actions help me remain a confident person because I know that I'm doing something for myself. I know I'm doing something for my business and I know I'm doing something for my parenting such that I'm consistently improving. And at the end of the day, I can go to sleep knowing that, that I'm better off then than I was when yeah. I woke up. <laughs> yeah. Now you've, 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 taking such a journey in there because you can't give what you don't have. And yeah. women, notorious, notorious for just uh, not refueling, not filling their buckets, yep. not filling their buckets. And I'm good at that. And you've gotten I'm really good. I'm great at that, I'm, but I, I, I stop you know, myself from doing it. I'm good at it and I still suck, right? Yeah. If I were to rate myself against what my idea, like how good I would be, yeah, I still suck and I'm good. Like I'm better than most and I still suck. So there's a long I way know. to go still of, of feeling absolutely okay with taking. 
Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're as a mother, like you're born, like you're born into guilt and you're born into giving, right? Yes. <laughs> so yeah. taking is really hard or receiving, I should say, not just taking, but receiving. And so 100%. that is, that is a muscle that like any other muscle has to be reawaken over and over again. It's not like you do it once Constantly. and then it's done, right? No, 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 no. And there are many different levels of that. So on that note, I want to say thank you so much for giving thank this interview. Thank you for having today. me. Such a this pleasure. This is Catherine Arnhardt, everybody. She is the owner, founder of Mason Lane Art Advisory and is an art advisory that specializes in emerging artists and art. And I just, you, it's just so inspiring. And I am sure you are to my audience as well, because like you're, you're living their dream. The ones who haven't made this jump yet, you're doing what they so want to do. And you've given a lot of practical um, personal advice today and, and, and shown them how it can be done. So thank you so much. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Joe. If you liked this episode of The Boss Lady Speaks and if it helped you, make sure to subscribe to get more episodes like these and do share them with others. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.